Hey, unfuckers, welcome into Show Notes. We are following up on part two of education. Part three is coming up, and we have a few irons in the fire for potential episodes before we wrap the year, and I cannot believe it is already December. Like, I literally just can't believe it. Maybe part of it is the weather, because we've had like two cold days and everything else is pretty mild, but... Anyway, I want to pick these next episodes pretty carefully before the holidays. And then next year, oh boy, we're going to need your help on fuckers. We're going to try and really build this thing out. And it's going to require support from everyone listening to spread the word. So we'll mention more about it as the new year comes. But until then, we're excited to get to it. Now, one thing I was thinking about before we get into show notes today, 99. And hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Okay. I'm mellow. But I feel like the duck on the water. Like I appear calm, but my legs are just fucking cranking underneath, you know? There's just, there's sort of this, I guess outside of the UNFTR bubble, there just feels like there's still too much going on in the world. There's just too much going on in the country. And at the Supreme Court and and in Congress and on Twitter and Kanye's head, where there's not a lot going on in Kanye's head. Like, at any rate, I was just thinking the other day of how this feels more fraught, like a more fraught post-election lame duck period. And maybe it's that I'm too close to the news or it's an occupational hazard with building out next year's show plan. I don't know. Just It just feels rocky. And for me, it's a reminder, like, it's good to shut it down and tune it out every once in a while. So I've actually been sitting down. I've been trying to, like, play more music lately and just try to get out of my own head because I'm feeling that thing again that comes up every once in a while where it just gets to be too fucking much. Wow, once in a while? What's that like? Yeah, so I was checking in with you because you're, I think you you feel the world differently than most people that I know. So you're more, I, th- I feel like you're, in a lot of ways you're elevated and you, you're more sensitive to the world and I go in and out. Like it's, I go very long periods of like everything's like totally fine and then sometimes I just get like, holy fuck, I'm just, this is just too goddamn much. Do you feel the same different do you feel like it's a more fraught and tenuous time right now like more so than usual after an election when things settle down or um relative to the election no just feels like progressively things get worse which i don't always like voicing because that's a pretty downer stance i know good things happen too but yeah as you know someone who struggles with their mental health, it can be, it can be overwhelming. So. Do you feel like you're taking it on? Do you feel like you're, you're shouldering uh, a lot of what you see? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I said to my roommate there, I was like, I think I'm depressed. And she was like, what's different than usual? <laughs> and I was like, well, well, that's not fair. I, I mean, it is fair, but, <laughs> uh, you know, living with depression and then bouts of, of actual depression. Well, not, you know what I mean? But yeah, just like, like, I've been going to bed really early for me, and I'm still, like, exhausted when I wake up. And mm. all I want to do is sleep. And, like, I mean, part of that's... Do you have seasonal affect disorder on top of it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> is it a disorder? Is that a disorder, really? I know they call it that, but... I think or some... is that just, you know, being blue because of the weather? I think there's a mix, but I do think there are some people who are, you know, hypersensitive to it. I think I... my little one is. Probably. She's, uh, she likes to be outside, so... She does. She does. That, she I craves mean, the sunshine. That's that's probably her body, actually. Like, that's probably a body response of, like, where's the vitamin D? So yeah. you might need to get her on supplements. I did. <laughs> okay. I did, yeah. That's good. But it's a, it's a real thing. It's, a re- it's all real. It's mm-hmm. all real. 
So I guess that's just a way of saying on fuckers like we, we don't mention it all the time because we love that you listen and we want everybody listening. But sometimes we do recommend actually that you dial out of the pod and other pods or switch it up. Find some find some funny shit out there. Find some heartwarming shit or fun stories out there that, yeah. that you might want to listen to and, you know, sort of change it up. Tom's new single. His band put out a single. I haven't heard it. I have not heard the full thing, but I've heard snippets on social. So should we... Would he be okay if we played maybe just a snippet, just a, a piece of it and link to it? Sure. He'd be all right with that, I right? I think so. 14 seconds, that's... Yeah. You know, we're allowed. Okay, good. We'll do that. Now, getting into show notes, we were talking about some cranky listeners. There was some some mixed feedback to the education episode, to part two specifically, right? Or I guess the trajectory of where it's all going, but definitely to part two. You're going to just leave me sneezing? I thought I caught it in the middle. I don't think so. No? Was I still talking when you sneezed? I think so. I thought I got a little... To part two specifically, right? Okay. I mean, is it funny? (laughs) I mean... It's human, right? We're talking about some human shit here. Yeah, my allergies are are affecting me. I have allergy effectiveness disorder. 99's falling apart. I am falling apart. Right in front of me. Hey, guess what? What? I'll catch you. Thank you. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me? Who's got you? They're all better, all fixed. (laughs) Wow, I feel like a new person. Uh, so we had some mixed feedback on the education episodes. Yeah, a lot of it was positive, but some of it was uh, was a little critical. And uh, you know, I love that. So I appreciate everybody who wrote in and gave us some suggestions and some feedback and some criticism. And with that, let's actually start with Taylor. And ninety nine, I'll throw it to you because I feel like uh, you'll you'll vibe with this. Yeah. So Taylor said, as a kid, I was diagnosed with dysgraphia, dyslexia, and ADHD. Please note that these aren't issues that go away as a person gets older. Thanks to technology and other adaptive behavior, I cope pretty damn well in my daily life. The workplace discrimination has been intense at times. I had an experience where I was trusted for years with extensive writing and communications work. Then when I mentioned being dyslexic, those projects were pulled from my workload. That's crazy. Yeah. When I enrolled at the University of Texas to finish my PhD last year and sought a special accommodation letter, I was starting from zero and have found out how unforgiving the system is for folks who may not have been proactively supported as a kid. The school will only accept an official diagnosis, but they don't have enough staff to assess everyone who needs it. The wait list for diagnostic appointments fill up immediately, and I have not been able to get in for more than a year now. Mm. An outside assessment is more than $4,000. No one takes insurance, and their wait lists are also months long process is so unworkable i've accepted that i am in the parlance of the pod fucked you know that's so interesting because so is it again i can only speak about the new york districts and what the process is to i guess to qualify for and then administer uh, special accommodations in school and it's actually not a rigorous process it's fairly well defined nowadays and once you qualify for it, you get a, a special letter for it and a special designation. You carry that with you through school. You have to go in for periodic check-ins. 
but it entitles you to special accommodations and it's all paid for by the districts. And that's really wonderful. But then what happens as an adult? It's just something that I hadn't you know, thought about or contemplated, you know, because adults have to, especially a, an adult may be in this little bridge time. So maybe you gain some of the tools and you can do better in life and you gain access to certain resources that can help you resource through your life. But yeah, these issues are persistent and they never go away. And some of them require some medical intervention. Some of them could require continuing therapy and all those kind of things. And we really don't have the systems to support that post K through 12, I guess. And I'm, and, and I guess what I'm curious about, if anybody wants to write in about it is what do accommodations and what, what is the, the, the process to qualify for accommodations in districts and other states look like? Yeah. I mean, I can speak not to, to K through 12 accommodations, but even in New York, I mean, I have a friend, my, my, uh, one of my best friends, her boyfriend has ADHD. And he said like, he was the, the typical child ADHD, like model of like bouncing around, whatever. And, you know, so he's had it his whole life and he's switching to a new doctor who like doesn't believe he has it. And he's like, I've been literally on medicine since I was five. And they're like making him go to a different doctor. And, and it's like all, you know, you incur all these medical bills. So there is, you know, there's a huge, I don't know. I mean, it's amazing that people still believe ADHD and, and these other things aren't real, uh, especially when there's been a rise in diagnoses. Specifically, I think a lot of women, because women don't, you know, they don't act the same as men in the binary as children. So same with autism, ADHD. There's a lot of later in life diagnoses. Um, but yeah, so Taylor, I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry that's happening for you. Yeah, that no sucks. doubt. Anyway, so appreciate that story. Appreciate people, you know, even giving us the feedback and, and opening up like that. Now, Dan H., you might recall that we had a... A long email. We gave Dan H. a shout out a couple show notes ago and then encouraged him to post his long message on the Facebook thread at Unfuckers at All, which he did. And uh, and I think got some you know pretty reasonable feedback on that. So we're very glad that you did that. Thank you for that. And he continues by writing in to say, I wanted to add a layer to your discussion about special education from show notes. I'm not sure it will be a central theme in parts two and three. Uh, so this is responding, I guess, to the first one. It is not a central part of it because... Because we did more of the history of it, and then in part three, as you'll see this weekend, we kind of take it into a different lane because we were building a narrative to go, you know, back into sort of the economic root of, of what schooling means in this country. So uh, we do kind of leave this piece behind, but it's good that we're still talking through it. Anyway, Dan said, I'd be curious to know about more about states, districts, teachers that are actively working against providing accommodations to students and what that fight looks like. Legally, states have to provide, quote, appropriate accommodations for students who qualify and some who go beyond federal standards. At the same time, the federal mandate around special education services can pose a conundrum for the underfunded and under-resourced districts who legally have to provide services if they can't afford to provide them. Absolutely. So I'm as curious as you are, and I'd love to hear some experiences uh, from around the country. And when we do eventually get into the mental health episode, there's no question that we're going to have to touch on this. So at some point, I'm sure we'll come across it. But if people know how certain districts actually square that tension between being mandated to do something and not having the funds to provide those resources, or how about the personnel to provide those resources? And that's another aspect of all the teacher cutbacks. And, you know, and what we've gone through with budget cuts at the state level since the Great Recession, one of the things that we talked about in part two. So, yeah, I'd be curious as well. And thank you for the feedback, Dan. Yes. Then Jim G. weighed in with some feedback. 
I've been a high school science teacher for the past 18 years. And then he continues, I think there may be a lot of parallels with Milton Friedman and the attempt to use market forces to improve education and the use of those same forces to change health care. Health care. <laughs> health care. Short answer, not so good. The argument that the student is the customer is bullshit. When I have the chance to talk with parents about their students, it's most often a conversation about grades, not about learning. If the student is the customer and all they want are good grades, I can make that happen. So then a little later, Jim comments on the multiple intelligences and learning styles and says, Ugh, I want to push back on your assertions in the section where you reference Howard Gardner and multiple intelligence. There is no evidence for his ideas, never has been. Here's a quote from a Psychology Today article. Quote, a critical review of the topic by Lynn Waterhouse in 2006 found no published studies at all that support the validity of the theory. Even though Gardner first made his theory public in 1983, the first empirical study to test the theory was not published until 23 years later, Pfizer, 2006, and the results were not supportive. Multiple intelligences theory can hardly be described as scientifically generative, end quote. So, got some strong feelings here. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, Jim was with us, you know, in the beginning. He's like, yeah, fuck Milton Friedman and the customer... Student's not a customer. That's bullshit. I can hand out good grades if that was all it was and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then rips apart my man, Howard Gardner. So I'm going to look into that because my understanding of Gardner is, as he described in the clip that we played, somebody that can absorb and analyze information and then regurgitate it. What he calls, I think, the, the legal mindset is different than somebody who might excel at jazz piano, who is different than somebody who might excel as a running back on the football field, who is different than somebody who might excel at sculpture, and so on and so on and so on, right? And under that theory, we have to recognize that standardized tests, for example, will not necessarily tap into athleticism, artistry, creativity, you know, just it, it taps into rote learning and, and learning how to take tests, not information itself, not the possession of the information, the ability to absorb it, to retain it, to spit it back out, but the, the, the ability to really critically interpret it. So I understand that there may not be scientific studies to support the concept that people learn differently, because that suggests that, oh, if I'm a visual learner, I can learn the same exact information as that legal mind. Or if I'm incredibly athletic, but I don't perform well in school, I am a physical learner. And so you have to, sh I, it has to be a, uh, I think what they call it, that kinesthetic learning, right? So that's not where I'm landing on this. When I, where I'm landing is more of a judgment call based upon an, a personality archetype that I think that we should value the sculptor and the artisan to the same degree that we value somebody with a, a memory that can absorb and regurgitate facts, information, dates, and stuff like that. That we, should, that we should value the athlete in society as much as we value the artist, as much as we value the legal profession, and so on and so forth. So the how people learn, um, you know, if you're in this field, I am not. And if you have more studies than I can find to support the fact that people don't learn in different ways and therefore can't absorb the same information, I'm, I'm with that. I think the real value here is to recognize in society that everyone has a value and you have to unlock what that value is and how they can best contribute to it. Therefore, just 
doing times tables and just, you know, reading isn't necessarily going to tease out the best response to, to you know, how people learn. Anyway, uh, but I do appreciate that feedback. And uh, we're going to move past the education episodes now and get into some very general feedback. For example, Alex, who is just catching up on the show and catching up on some prior show notes. And one of the things that Alex writes in is regarding the Tough on Crime show notes episode. He said, well, it all played out as the GOP expected. Hammer Mandela with enough fear-mongering ads. So this is a Wisco-specific comment. With enough fear-mongering ads and you'll create just enough doubt that they'll simply not go out for him or hold their nose and vote for Ron Johnson. That mixed with the racial undertones of many of the ads and you have a win. The GOP reached a new level of apocalyptic propaganda and most of the commercials we had to tolerate were straight off SNL or The Daily Show. It's amazing and at the same time sobering that the old white guy running for governor can win by such a significant margin, but his progressive lieutenant can lose by just as much. Fear works. Yeah, well done, well said, good on you, Alex, it's true. I wish that wasn't the case in Wisco, that's for sure. You know, it's a six-year term, man. That's what it is. It's six more fucking years to get this asshole out of that seat. It's a shame. So then moving on to Victor O, who said, I heard some very disheartening news while listening to podcasts this morning. I believe it was on Ezra Klein's show, The Hidden Cost of Cheap Meat. I was unaware, but the pork industry has taken California to court and lost all the way up to the Supreme Court over Prop 12, which passed with well over 60% approval. They are now arguing there, and Biden is on the side of the folks who do not want to provide safe, healthy, humane spaces for the pigs because it raises the cost for them. How do we know that Biden is not on that side? Why would the White House have released a statement in support or against Prop 12? Let's Google it. Okay. In the meantime, have you been following... You sent me something about this recently, right? You've been following this case. Um, it wasn't this. It was the Farm Act that Cory Booker is like introducing, but I don't think it's related. Oh, this it's is not? A, I think this is a California-specific. It feels like that one would impact the other for sure, though. Well, Biden administration backs the big industry's Prop 12 opposition. Why? Mm, opening. Where'd you find that? Uh, this is on animalequality.com. Let's see. The Biden administration filed a brief in the Supreme Court that backs the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation in their challenge of California's Prop 12. Prop 12, otherwise known as the Prevention of Cruelty to Farm Animals Act, is considered the United States' strongest law that improves living conditions for farmed animals. Measure was presented to California voters in 2018 and passed with 63%. Despite popular support, Prop 12 has been opposed by the meat industry, which notoriously chooses profit over animal welfare. On September 27, 2021, the NPCC and AFBF filed a petition to bring their case opposing Prop 12 to the Supreme Court. They claim Prop 12 violates the Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution. On March 28, the NPCC and AFBF's petition was granted. The Supreme Court began accepting briefs from organizations. On June 17th of this year, the Biden administration filed a brief siding with the pork industry. Um, in the brief, Solicitor General Elizabeth Prologar claims California has, quote, no legitimate interest in protecting the welfare of animals located outside of the state, quoting a previous Supreme Court decision. The brief continues to say, quote, voters in pork producing states must determine what constitutes cruel treatment of animals housed in those states, not voters in California, end quote. Why are they different? Uh, I don't know. 
apparently California animals, you know, they get weed, they're mm-hmm, surfing. Mm-hmm. So like a, like a, they're just more laid back. a Massachusetts pig that's like, like eating Duncan. And I was going to say smoking, but I don't know. Smoking Duncan. <laughs> smoking Duncan. Fucking smoking Duncan. Yeah. I love Duncan guy. Um, I don't know. That's fucking shit. <laughs> Fuck that. So what's bizarre about that to me is not that they would be of the opinion that it violates the commerce clause and that, and, and then that Congress should take this up as a federal act. Like that would be the play for the Biden administration to recognize inherent weaknesses in the argument before the Supreme Court to say that this isn't necessarily going to fly because it, it violates the Commerce Act because, you know, animals aren't finite in, in, in a particular location. And then to use that wisdom to pass a federal law that actually insulates the whole concept of that, you know, in, in a better way. But to just file a brief that says, yeah, no, f- fuck California, we agree with that. And then there's no there's no follow up to that. There, there's no there's no reason for them to do that unless there's a bigger game plan. Yeah. Or unless meat lobby. Well, certainly the meat lobby, but the meat lobby that happens at the that you see, this isn't policy. This is law. There's no margin in my estimation for an administration Take the Trump administration out because they were just mean and ruthless and reckless, right? They would just they would make legislative policy stances all the time in weak executive orders and then it'd get rolled back by the courts. This is the Biden administration going out of its way to make a legislative claim about something that it doesn't really have standing in per se. So it is either, as you say, the meat lobby being so powerful in a White House that's already secure or... It should be part of a bigger plan to actually federalize this, which would insulate it from these type of challenges. I don't get it. So certainly worth looking into. Once again, we have a lot of vegans on this show. We've got a lot of animal rights activists that listen to the show. I know 99 is very passionate about it. We will look into it offline and hopefully revisit this in the next show notes or perhaps a piece. But if anybody has uh, certain answers to that as to what the rationale might be, let us know because I would be very curious. The meat lobby and the dairy lobby can, like, they can fucking do whatever they want. Like, I just... They can do whatever they want, but to actually compel the executive branch... That wouldn't shock me. ...into action doesn't make sense because they, they're they already there. No, I get it, but, know? I mean, I it reminded me of a maintenance phase episode where they talked about the food pyramid and how, mm. you know, that started and basic... And at the beginning, it was like, a lot of vegetables and a lot of fruit, but then the green lobby got mad that there weren't enough greens. And then, you know, scientists even suggested maybe we recommend a vegetarian diet. And, you know, obviously the fucking meat lobby went apeshit. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, they, they go through, I don't want to relitigate their entire episode, but they go through the history of where we ended up with this shit system because of influence of, of you know, the food lobbies and these organizations and it's just so fucked. So that's why I'm like, I was thinking that reminded me of that. And I, I know obviously two very different things, but it doesn't, wouldn't no, shock me whatever they're doing. bureaucratic that's coming out of the center, that's coming out of the, you know, the, out of the existing system. You would think that the FDA or the USDA couldn't necessarily be lobbied, right? Because it's just a bureaucratic organization and institution. But there's also a revolving door mm-hmm. between the industries themselves and the people that actually sit on these. That panels. was a huge part of it, where they would like get they would get really far with one person, and then that person would leave, and they'd have to start all over again. So yeah. like the original food pyramid was proposed like two decades before it actually like wow. went to press. Yeah. Press, but where is the solicitor general standing in all this? That's what I don't understand, and I don't know enough about how the courts work 
to be able to to surmise what the what the the calculus there is in the Biden administration. So, well, um, the poor piggies. I send my love to them. Yeah, all of them. The ones in Massachusetts all, sucking all back over, Duncan and all over the world, California and, and all that. Pigs are so smart, and they're really cute, and I want to hug them all. Uh, not that smart. They can't escape. You know, a bunch of potheads in California. Just saying. I mean, not all Californians are potheads. What? Yeah. Leave the pigs alone. Okay, 99. The little pigs. Their little feets. Their little curly tails. What about, what about Wilbur and Babe? I can't, I can't even look at the cover of the Charlotte's Web book. Yeah. Can't even look at the cover. Exactly. That's some pig. Amazing. Yeah. So you're going to eat that? It's not worth it. Yeah. It might also be the reason I don't step on spiders. And I mean that. Um, you know how I feel about bugs. I know. They can live. I just need to not. I have. I had a nightmare the other day that there was a centipede in my car. <laughs> a legitimate nightmare. I'm not. It was the night before last. It was very visceral. And, and I woke up like. In your butt? <gasps> no. The car was it almost seems scarier. To be where they're always trying to get to. Yeah. But the car was scarier because if I was driving and I saw it, I would have fully died. I mean, there's just no way I wouldn't have crashed my car. Yeah. In reality, like yeah. if there was a centipede in my car, I would have crashed. Mm. So, why the, why the centipede? Because it was Such in my a house. Random, random thing to have a fear of. I wasn't afraid of them until they started fucking showing up in my bathroom and my bedroom. Looking for your butthole. Go, go look go for, for someone else's butthole. <laughs> Christ. Hey, Cody B said, thanks for all you guys do. I know you put in more work than I know. I'd like to send some goodies to y'all as a thank you. Is there a mailing address I can get? I'm about to get yelled at. Couldn't find it on your website. That's because it's not there. Again, thank you guys. I laughed my ass off listening to you, along with learning something new in every show, of course. Very proud of you guys and wish you the best. We dumbass people need your success more than you ever will. One love. No, Cody, there's no address. This has been an ongoing dispute. 99 would like us to get a P.O. box, and I'm simply not interested and she's right and I'm wrong. So what I would say to you is what is available is the address for Amy at Native Coffee Traders on the Puspatuck Reservation out on Long Island. You can look that up and send her something cool. Yeah, don't send her something for us. Send her something for yeah. her. If, if you want to send her something cool, send her something cool. Yeah, because Alex asked part of his email. He was also very annoyed. Alex S is obviously Nettie Hugger. Like, yes. that's that Alex. Yeah. He sent us something, and I told him to send it to the warehouse because we don't have a P.O. box. Right. And uh, it never materialized. Oh, no? Because it went in. Things shouldn't go into the warehouse. They come out of the warehouse. <laughs> so more people have asked than I've even put in here. So, mm -hmm. Yes, I did put it in here to yell at you. Mm -hmm. I knew you did. So what's the deal? Send Amy something nice out at the reservation. Well, eventually, what about what about when I want to do things and I need a peel box, or if I want, if people want to send me, why do why does Amy have to get all my presents? <laughs> How's that? Why does Amy have to get all my presents? <sighs> How much is a peel box? Like four dollars? It's gonna fill up with stuff. You're gonna check it like once every three months. You'll be like, oh, do we have that? And then you're gonna go there. You'll be like, they're gonna be like, I'm sorry, we closed this peel box because it was stuffed with beer and. Posters. That sounds great. <laughs> All right, let's go get one. Okay. Great. You're driving. I'm not going. Why? I'm not going. You probably need to be there to put I'm your name going. on the thing. How do I open up your box? I don't know. You've never done it? You're like 50,000. Wow. wow. No, the 
The letter carrier used to come to my house on horseback. That's how... Do you have milk in glass bottles? You don't? No, I don't drink milk. Neither do I. Well, that's good because it's disgusting. Yeah. It also gave me migraines. I and told avocado. You avocado makes me throw up. Is there something else that made you throw up? I was trying to think about it. Because I was telling my roommate because it was discussion? funny. What? It was funny. That makes me throw up? Yeah. Avocado. Her cousin has... Oh, yeah. Uh, eggplant. 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 It was something... Avocado makes me straight up throw up within minutes. Yeah, her... Eggplant just doubles me over in pain. What about... I feel like she told me her cousin was allergic to avocado and buckwheat. Are you allergic to buckwheat? <laughs> buckwheat. Yeah. No, I, no. No, I'm not. I don't know. Because I've had buckwheat pancakes. And Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, huh. hmm, maybe that's what Max has. They also have celiac. Do you, Are you gluten intolerant? Nope. That we know of. Love, love me some gluten. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I just buy it by the jar. Cool. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? I just... Put it in your butt? <laughs> Scott C. was also cranky. Do you want to read him? Crankies. I don't want to put that on Scott, but... Scott said, I can't help feeling that y'all were off the mark with the post-show musings. By framing the discussion on ideology in the classroom, you're already falling for the right's bullshit. It shouldn't matter if a teacher is conservative or, or progressive because 95% of teaching is about the three R's and only a fraction of it has always been about values. Then later, Scott says, the proper perspective is to be pro-education and respect multiple points of view. Values have to be taught alongside curriculum. Not doing so is just dumb. Do your homework, keep your hands to yourself, speak in turn, <laughs> and respect one another regardless of gender identity are values that make schooling work. We've always leaned into tolerance just because public school is about everyone and it has always been about equality. Well, so where are we misaligned here? Because I said, so I was telling a story about our friend who has a daughter and she's had multiple instances of butting heads with her teacher as a 10 year old because she's a, a, a small liberal child or she's just a child. She's no political affiliation. This teacher has his ideals that he's like putting on on the children. So. Scott, I understand what you're saying. At the at the core of it, yes, teachers should just teach, but it we can't just wash away that people's identity comes along with it. If I find out if I found out that I had like a pro-life, Republican, pro-NRA person teaching my child, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. And, you know, maybe that makes me a the fucking libtard that they're saying on TV. But if I didn't know those things and the person was a lovely person and a great teacher, that's fine. But the moment it ekes into that territory where you do find find out something like that, that's when it's become too far. And obviously, ideals have come up in some way in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to say it doesn't, you just said gender identity. Like, how can you expect somebody who doesn't believe that, you know, trans women are women or trans men are men or pronouns should be proper? That, you know, how, how can you expect that person to not put that onto their classroom? There are people who won't even acknowledge gender identity, let alone say, just respect everyone regardless of. So perhaps maybe you and your colleagues, you know, it's not a problem for for you because you're liberal, you're listening to this podcast, but there are people out there, there, there are places out there, you know, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know what kind of, you know, Manny Faces has children. I don't know what the school system Manny looks like has there. children. <laughs> Boy, does he. But, you know, it, he's in the South. I don't know what type of, you know, politics the teachers that are teaching his child at this point <laughs> prescribe to yeah i got a lot to say on this it's too many things you know we talk about 95 percent of teaching is you know the three r's and that it doesn't matter if a teacher leans one way or the other 
uh, but it does because of implicit bias. I think there's plenty of discussion and literature about how traditional teaching methods are not set up for a modern society, not set up for a multicultural society. A giant part of the education system that we didn't really touch upon but exists is culturally relevant pedagogy in communities of color, in immigrant communities, finding ways to connect and be in touch with your student constituency is not just sit down, don't twiddle your thumbs, and listen to a teacher. Like that philosophy others and excludes a lot of people. So a whole lot of thoughts come to mind. I talk to a lot of educators in my own work that have to deal with changing that mindset. And when it comes to me having a kid in the South, I've already noticed it's a lot stronger religious undertones, possibly, in the classroom. And I'm looking out for that. And I, I can't even imagine what it would be like being in the Bible Belt and being a Muslim student or one that celebrates another faith and other holidays uh, when everything is Christmas, Christmas, ornaments, ornaments, and, and, and things like that. So there are lots of concerns about how a teacher and or the overall school curriculum imposes on their children, even in the circumstances that would be considered more traditional. Uh, so I'm all about progressive pedagogy and finding ways to get past all of this stuff. And that includes uh, a much more progressive thinking when it comes to the classrooms. Uh, anyway, that's my two cents. I've had teachers I've looked back and I, I think I shared that my one of my high school uh, history teachers had like a fucking Reagan calendar. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> was everything I was being taught filtered through his, you know, like butt licking of Reagan lens? How am I supposed to take any of that seriously? And especially when you get into things like the Holocaust, mm. things that we shouldn't have to talk about now. But that's apparently, you know, teaching white children and, you know, non-Jews and whatever that they're villains. So I just don't think it can be separated. I'm not saying that that's the core issue. We understand that teachers don't have this um, mission to indoctrinate children. We, we don't think that. That's what they're telling us to think. But there is progress that's being impeded because of these things. And I think that's where we were talking more. So it does matter what their values are if they're being put on your child. See, Scott, what's interesting about Scott is Scott's even sort of uh, critical of the love the teacher message as well saying you guys seem to buy that message a bit even with the love teachers message teaching is hard work if we could indoctrinate our students to capitalize their eyes we might be able to talk about politics but that's not what's happening so scott listen scott's in the field clearly yeah. so scott has agency in this discussion that we do not the one thing that i think we are all completely aligned with here is his statement when he says the proper perspective is to just be pro-education and respect multiple points of view. But I don't think that multiple points of view should include these days people's opinions on issues like on hot button issues and topics. Let the educators do their job. Let the educators, you know, teach the curriculum the way they're supposed to. As he says, 95% of this is the three R's. But then there is more to it, obviously. There's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine has been a teacher for, two, an elementary school teacher for probably 25 years, made a comment to us that I, I found really interesting. She said, you know, I went from, I went from, as a young teacher, I feel like I went from teaching kids to raising them over mm -hmm. the past 25 years. Like they're coming to her now wild wild and undisciplined and unruly and disrespect and she's like it is now sometimes she gets a class that's a complete gem and she feels like she's back in her in her 20s again and then sometimes she gets a class where she's just like i literally feel like i'm at the fucking zoo i don't even know where to begin with these kids 
and she'll call home to try and make meetings with parents. The parents are not interested in meeting with her. They're just like, sent them there for a reason. It's your fucking problem. We both work. Or she's got parents literally emailing her, calling her, finding her cell phone, calling her, advocating for their kid 24-7. And she's just like, this isn't, this isn't okay. This isn't how it works. So I think part of my love the teachers message is more about what Scott is saying here about be pro-education. But in that, trust the professionals and also fund the schools to hire professionals. Because if you're mad that the teacher came in with a Reagan calendar, doesn't have a degree, is teaching them things that are off book and of, a, of an opinion, that person is not a cultivated, you know, well-rounded educator. This isn't a person that, you know, probably came through the system, or maybe they did, I don't know. But we do have to respect the field. We have to respect the people in their positions. And because that's what's kind of disappeared from it, because we've twisted the narrative around to just attack, attack, attack all the time. I mean, if somebody came in and told 99 and I how to do our jobs during the day because, you know, so you know that we work in broadly in the digital field, right? If somebody came into, into in our offices and just started telling us how to do our jobs because they've surfed the internet before, that would be a little fucking insulting, right? I mean, that and insert your job there for anything, right? On that same line of thinking... I'm not critical of anything that Scott is saying here because, again, he has more agency in this as a teacher than I do. I just think we're perhaps more closely aligned than than his comments are giving credit for. Yeah, I mean, it was obvious. His feedback was specifically something in post-show musings yeah. that I said. So it's not even your alignment because, if anything, I'm more fuck the teacher, not love the teacher <laughs> than Max is because I also I don't I feel like I don't know I don't want to be too bootlicky in a specific field because. I just don't want to be any type of bootlicker. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, or a. Yeah, we had those same feelings Mary in healthcare Jane as well, right? Licker. There's some fucking bad do- doctors out there. There's some shitty, you know, people in that field, right? Plenty. Plenty. Yeah, I could share yeah. lots of stories. Of course, of course. But then again, we want to give time and space and funding so that people can develop as the professionals that we no, want them course. to be, right? I mean, I think that that's. I mean, if we haven't said it, here's us saying it like we support people who are good at their jobs and we support them becoming better (laughs) and we hope everyone gets the funding and the resources to do that and we hope all the bad shitty people at their jobs get flushed away and find something they do love and they are good at we can't all be i know you're a huge fan so i don't want to shoot down one of your heroes but we all can't be elon musk we can't be that capable yeah we can't be so capable that we can run a rocket company, mm-hmm. a tunnel digging company, of course. a car company, yeah. and a social media company. Mm-hmm. One CEO, all four companies. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, and he's got a hot mom and a dad who impregnated his stepchild. God bless his family. Yes. It still just throws me for a loop. What, that his dad impregnated his stepchildren yeah. or child twice? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Anyway. You brought him up. I did. Well, I know you're a fan. I <laughs> yeah, know how much you I love, love Elon. Him. You are such a bro when it comes to Elon. I can't even believe it that you can't see clearly who he is. Mm. You're just such a fan. Now, Aaron N said, great show notes. Classic Max defending his opinion on Biden's work. Such passion mixed with reality is Maximus unfuckia. We should all disagree with Max and 99 now and again to keep them frosty. But I feel like they are quite capable to learn new things without criticism from their supporters. Yeah, criticism helps. Constructive. Yep, it really does. Yeah. But thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. Uh, Over on Instagram, 
Instagram. Instagram. Instagranny. Instagranma. Lauren Jane had some shit to say. Yeah, Lauren said, I can't even begin to express how much I love this podcast. Well, we can't express how much we fucking love you, Lauren Jane. Yeah. Hoo-ha. Thank you so fucking much for starting a series on public education. You're welcome. I was a fourth grade teacher for seven years before I quit this last year. Oh, boy. It's been the hardest decision <laughs> I've ever made, but the education system has been killing me. I've only listened to about eight minutes of the first public education episode, and I'm already crying tears of joy. I have felt like the worst kind of human for abandoning my career and students, but the realities in schools are horrifying. My experience was not unique but it's still hard to hear the false narratives about our school systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, Lauren Jane, don't feel don't feel bad. Don't feel, you know, like you you quit the kids or or your your career. Teachers I think have been have been put in and just an absolutely awful situation. Like we said, it was dangerous, deadly in certain parts, right? I mean, it's so to go back 99, you know, teachers with a with an agenda. I mean, right as soon as the Schools were let back in, but the mask mandates were still on in New York. My daughter was in a class where the teacher took off her mask and was like, this is bullshit. Everybody can take their masks off. And like, you know, these are children. They were teenagers. And so most of them did because they didn't want to be the, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. that it was that group thing. They didn't want to be the, the kid is like leaving it on when the teacher's like looking at them and then obviously thinking different, sneering at them. And then you don't, your friend took theirs off. So you want to get like, I mean. Come the fuck on. Oh, I would have reported her. A hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's me. fucking nonsense. Yeah. At I the think same they time, still wear masks. At the same time. I know, me too. Um, at the same time, Lauren, it, it is brutal. It is brutal what teachers have been subjected to, particularly over the last few years. But just know this. You're not the worst kind of human. Okay? Nor are you off base about your experience. This was not unique to you. It is something that has run rampant through the system. But know this, they're doing it deliberately. That was kind of the point of part two. And I think will be everyone will completely understand where we're going in part three, why they would demonize teachers, the system, the funding, the unions. I mean, there is a deliberate rationale behind all of it. They don't even necessarily, the right, the libertarians, the, the Milton Friedman acolytes of the world, they don't even necessarily have to believe all the shit they're putting out. Fox News knows goddamn well that critical race theory is not standalone curriculum in school. They know that very well. They also know there's not kitty litter in bathrooms. They also know that 0.04% of this country feels that they are a gender other than their assigned gender at birth, which means generously 0.02% and probably less of this country feels that way as an adolescent. So that's what Fox News and all of the other right-wing, you know, podcasts and and right-wing media ecosystem is talking about. They're talking about at best 0.02% of this country that struggles with their assigned gender and believes that they want to live differently other than in this binary system. But they have made it seem like it is one out of two kids it is being indoctrinated and it is going to be the death of our society and that you can actually be taught to feel like another gender. They're ginning up their base and it didn't work, by the way. It didn't work for the midterms. It's not going to culture war stuff is not going to work in the long run either, but it does get people pretty animated. 
Well, they came after you, Lauren, just like they came after all of the other teachers because it's convenient to their narrative to demonize the unions, to demonize these groomers and indoctrinators that are in our liberal classrooms. And that's why they got to cut it off at the knees. The reason they need to do it is because they're trying to privatize the whole system. It's not conspiracy to think this way because they literally write this stuff down. <laughs> they literally commit this to paper. Now, I was making the argument recently, not the argument, I was making the parallel recently to my wife who said, well, why would they document that? Like, why would they say it out? Like, why do they speak this shit out loud? Like she said, like, you shouldn't be able to find half of the stuff that you find. Like if they were any good at this, right? Mm -hmm. But there's such noise out there that it really does kind of get lost. And they have the louder microphones and the megaphones and they, they, they just do it more consistently. So, you know, if you say it enough times, the lie becomes the truth. But the reason that they document it is because they're proud of it. When the Einsatzgruppen took pictures of murdering women and children in fields all throughout Eastern Europe, after they had asked them to dig their own ditches, they stood for photographs next to the ditches and the bodies. They documented the entire process. Why do we know that? Why do we know that the Einsatzgruppen existed for a period of a couple of years before they started constructing the killing camps and the concentration camps all through Eastern Europe? Why do we know that? Because the Germans could not wait to show the world what they did on their behalf. They truly believed that they were doing the hard work that had to be done and that everybody turning a blind eye was giving them tacit approval to it. That's why they documented it. They weren't documenting it because they needed it for archival purposes to learn from it to how to do better. They were documenting it because they couldn't wait to show everybody. This is the same with the libertarian strain and the libertarian mind. What we're calling the libertarian mind is the, it is this new right that has completely co-opted the agenda of the right in this country. They're documenting it because they think they're doing the hard work that's right and righteous and they're proud of it. So Lauren Jane, you're not the worst person in the world. They're the worst people in the world. And that's why we do this. Now let's get over to coffee donations. Yeah, after that uh, reverse after that made up story trigger from the warning. <laughs> after the made up story about the Holocaust that never happened. Yeah. So Will Watkins the for it. I am William Wallace. <laughs> bought three coffees, a coffee for each of us to dip our toes into Mastodon. It's not as intuitive as Twitter, but it's open source ad free customizable. That sounds gross. Dip your toe into Mastodon. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> we had some Sorry. communication with Kevin, who we talked to last week. About Mastodon, who sent us an email about it, and honestly, it seems really complicated. And I like shit. If you're saying that, I'm fucked. I looked on the site. I'm like, where's the stuff? It was just like, just where do you go? The setup part. He was like, and then the server, and then this, and I was like, uh, a server? I don't want. And then Will <laughs> says like, don't don't think about your server too hard. It does and doesn't matter. And I'm like, you're making it worse. <laughs> and it's like I'm in tech, and I'm like, I can fucking design websites, and, and I was like. Why does this need my server? I couldn't figure out what to click on. Because there's nothing there yet, dude. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. I know people been I'm using an idiot, that though. Post, post thing. I don't know. It's like a Twitter bootleg, but also I saw on LinkedIn that it's inaccessible and the, the founder was like, we just want to get people in first and then we'll focus on features like accessibility. And it's like, okay, so, mm. you know. Uh, we want to get people except 
Everybody. Literally, yeah. Right? Uh, Just not people that need, need services. Yeah, so fuck that. And uh, I don't know, man. I- I just don't know. I'm just like, I wish Slack was free. We could just all Slack each other. That'd be better. That'd be so fun. I know. Someone does anyone work at Slack? Messenger. Bing. Yeah. <laughs> if you work at Slack, please um, call me right now. <laughs> and donate us. Yeah. A Slack that can manage hundreds of thousands of users. Yeah. Yeah, and cool. the, the messages don't expire because we could have a free account all we wanted, but yeah. we then we would it would be God, like fucking free so janky. It would be amazing. Yeah, it'd be fun. But I guess that's what all this shit is too, right? I mean, y'all basically just talking about Discord. So Yeah, but so it's maybe just... we'll figure it out in ninety nine. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I know, I know. I'm I'm This is hard. I I just need to I will get back to it. I'm just a fucking writer, man. I have to imagine or I will I am telling that I probably can't <laughs> have the mental space to deal with this until the new year. So well Facebook group it for now. Okay. Make a burner account and okay. be in there. And then when the new year comes and I've cleared a lot of things, I can get back to the community part. So Sounds good. I apologize. Well, listen, thank you for purchasing the coffees. Will Watkins, hold for it. I am William Wallace. And also, Hrund J bought five coffees for us. Hrund from Iceland. Hey, fuckers. Wanted to write you for a long time. So many thoughts and question for you guys. But I've been ruminating for so long time, I don't know how to start or miss the train. But hey, it's a start. When I discovered you, I started to feel excited again. And for a crazy artist, that's a gift. I love that, Runjay. And we love your contributions, and we love having you as part of the show. And uh, love that you're connecting with all the other unfuckers in the Unfuckers at All group. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. And Simone A. bought five coffees. My brother-in-law, Eric, directed me to your show. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. What's up, Eric? Yeah. Snaps for Eric. It's now some Simone Simon. I mean. Simone. I'm, a, I'm assuming it's Simone. Simone. But let me know if I'm pronouncing Simone. it Simone. Yeah. Simon E. <laughs> Imagine. Mm. I don't make coffee at home, but I bought him a bag and I'm buying you 99 oh. and Manny coffee as my way to say thanks. I was trying to wait to buy until I'd caught up, but I'm still a year behind, and my brother-in-law's birthday is next month. Well, what then, a good you're not going to hear this for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they're listening to the show notes. Maybe. In between. But maybe. Hey, thanks, Eric, and thanks, Simone. <laughs> yeah. Rob W., or V. or W. Rob W. is now a member. UNFTR is hands down my favorite podcast. Holy shit, that's two in a row. Wow. I love the clear, well-structured, well-researched episodes and your willingness to name the enemy. I've listened to every episode, holy shit, and have been with you from almost the start. I heard about you from Pitchfork Economics. Keep up the great work. Without the great historical context you provide, we can never understand our current problems well enough to fix them. Hoo-ha, Rob W. That's that's quote-worthy. That's wall-worthy. Thank yeah, you for that. thank you. Atomic Dog is now a member. What's up? I know. Holy I want to thank the team for all the great work you do and support you in your year-end goal. Max, in particular, I appreciate your continued engagement with those of us that are so frustrated with the Democratic Party that we want other options. Yeah, dig it. Atomic Dog, love the back and forth that you provided us for so long. It's yeah, really important. I think we lost them with Twitter. Oh. So, I think so. Is that right? I think so. Hmm. No, email. We just haven't heard from Atomic Dog in a while. Okay. Maybe both, but definitely email. I remember because I had some communication. I think Atomic Dog 
owns like a chicken thing. Chicken, like backyard chickens, remember? Wait, Atomic Dog owns Tyson Chicken? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Atomic Dog is Mike Tyson of Tyson Chickens. <laughs> this is yeah. getting nuts. Mm-hmm. I, good it's job. amazing how much I you say crazy. Yourself. It's amazing how much I say it. I know. I mean, Seriously. it's in our vernacular. And it it's really is. a word that I think a lot of people would argue, like other words, like, well, it doesn't mean the same thing. But it's hey, like. you didn't answer me, by the way, in Slack. You want me to. No, I want. Yeah, I want to talk about this. The post about special needs, right? Mm-hmm. I love the framing of it. So somebody sent in a message. It's not, you know, there's no such thing as special needs. We all have the same needs. So not, I get not calling kids special needs kids. That's that's silly. And I think that even I knew that that was anachronistic, right? They don't You're have special needs. You're always mad in the moment when I tell you. What? You're always mad in the moment when I tell you. If no, I was looking for the end. I was looking for the, so here's the, here's what we, here's what no, we say. But in, I told you in recording, you had special needs and I changed it to learning accommodations. Yes. But I said, you're always mad when I tell you something in recording. I'm frustrated. Yeah. Because I'm in a groove. I know, but. So children with special needs, not a thing, right? Nobody has special needs. We all have the same needs. I love that framing of it. But when we talk about students that require accommodations, what is the new growing vernacular like how how are we to, to I think frame there's this there's a difference i think when we talk about the, the person i think special education is fine so let me just read this post so this is from a disability advocate named julie harris on linkedin so the term special needs unnecessarily and inaccurately others the disabled and neurodivergent population the needs aren't different they're basic human needs that every person has what is different is the way in which those needs can and must be met which is also a difference inherent to being human. Needs aren't, quote, special just because they're tied to a disability. We all need to intake nutrients. We all do it in different ways. We all need to communicate. We all do it in various ways, etc. So we can go out. This could go on ever, forever. I could, I'll stop. But um, I hope you see that needs tied to disability aren't, quote, special or even different. So I just the reason I wanted to stop is because I don't want to. There's just many schools of thought in the disability space, especially. So I don't want to, like, act like one is better than the other. So if somebody, if a person with a disability said, I have special needs, they're more than warranted to say that. You can identify, exactly. You can be a person with a disability. You can be a disabled person. You can be differently abled. You can be handicapable. If that's you, if that's the way you're describing yourself, perfectly fine. It's not for able-bodied people to tell you how to describe yourself. I think the movement with special needs, similar to what we just read, is that just call them accommodations because special needs, I th- others people where it's like, mm, there's they have special needs where it's just like, no, we need to accommodate people. Everybody needs some sort of accommodation in I know. life. So in, in, in regular conversation, when we say this, when it used to be they're in the special needs class, that's the special needs kid, it's special, right? Now, would we go so far as to say, that's a child who requires accommodations? What, like what's well, what why is are the, you talking about them like that it's like, I guess like well because I'm a writer so if I was to write this down you say a, a child with I, I, so like disabilities is a fraught word handicapped is a fraught word right um, disabilities is fine but then we have to characterize and talk about the types of disabilities right so it's not a so a physical disability versus a mental disability like well it just it depends I mean it you, I, and I'm approaching this from a standpoint of I find this fascinating like mm-hmm. the, the language is like mission critical and it's evolving and like you say like I'm always coming at it from an outsider perspective because I have I am the cisgender basic white male right mm-hmm. so I just sometimes I just stumble and I don't like using the word crazy like we just went through like getting that out of my vernacular is hard special needs kids 
it's been in my head for fucking 30 years. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I want to be able to refer. Uh, the answer, it's just nuance. That's why, like, there is no one answer. Like, in the, the context of the last episode we were recording, you had something that said, like, uh, something, 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 children with special needs. And I said... I didn't even have this language to back it up from. It just happenstance showed up on my LinkedIn feed. I, I basically, all I could say was, we're trying not to use that. That's mm -hmm. all I, you know, and which isn't great when someone's looking for answers. And I get that. But uh, I changed it to a child who requires learning accommodations. Right. So that's something, a, a switch there. I don't know in what context we would be talking about, like, the quote unquote, the, those special needs kids. You know what I mean? Like, I think there would be. If it was um, this group of children who have dyslexia or, you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason to, well, you, to generalize in that way. You know, where I, I think where my brain trips up is how you've taught me to do person first, right? It's, so when you say instead of a disabled person, it's a person with disabilities. It's all preference. But from my perspective as a writer coming from the outside, I'm not going to say disabled person, you right? Can. I'm not going to say handicapped person. In well, writing, handicapped is gone. We don't say handicapped, handicapped okay, unless so, someone describes themselves as handicapped. But isn't isn't the movement to personhood first? It's it's truly there. There's like it's a debate. It's just it's completely it's completely nuanced. It's not a movement to go one way or the other. Like there's there are whole movements of people with disabilities who want to to call themselves like handicapable. And there, it's a smaller minority, yeah. but they're they are there. But the the overall conversation is like, if you're talking to someone with a disability, ask what's your preference. Mm -hmm. You know, if we if we onboard someone in onto our team, and if I if I had to refer to them to like an accommodation, it's like, oh, would you prefer me to say we have a disabled employee? Would you prefer me to say we have an employee with a disability? Like that's a personal thing. In writing, I mean, there isn't there so isn't really that an answer. That's what I'm saying. I don't have that luxury necessarily. So there just, isn't like a one that's recommended. It's what feels comfortable to you. What feels comfortable to me is not going to be great because I grew up with I, I grew up with terrible well, language just, about I'll, all of this I stuff. Mean, you know what I mean? What's comfortable to you regarding disabled person or a person with a disability? Okay. I mean, you know, you have the you're allowed to use it in whatever sounds more fluid in your in your text as long as it's not. Because, like, there's nothing offensive about having a disability, you know? So, like, listen, I, I was listening to, um, who's the dude on MSNBC who's breaking down? Uh, Kornacki, right? Steve mm. Kornacki, who goes through all the maps and stuff like that. And this is just a couple days ago when he was talking about the Georgia runoff. And he's like, and this is the district where all the blacks live. So we want the blacks to be able to do this and the black. And it was just tinning my ear over and over. And that's good. Like, not great that he was framing it that way. But thinking about now the written word, going from the blacks to black people and then capitalizing in this world now when I'm writing it, black people, so capitalizing B, it's all it's all an evolution and it's all nuance. And I actually I find it thrill I don't find it thrilling when we're going through the script and I have to like mentally like stop and think about that. And I'm like, fuck, it's never at you. It's always at the God damn it. I'm like my flow stopped. Right. But it's always exciting to me to like learn the language. I think I mentioned it before. Like I remember where I was when my sixth grade teacher introduced the concept of African Americans, because up until then it was colored people. That's how old I am, right? African Americans feels dated even for you. Brand new language, never heard that before, and I was like, why would I wait for who? And that was how he preferred to be addressed. And then I remember him having a because it became such a thing in middle school I was sixth grade it became such a thing 
that he and another English teacher from high school actually had a like a session about it. And we all sat in on it and they talked about, you know, where it derived from and all that. To go all these years later to where black people from the Caribbean are like, yeah, not not African. Like, you know, can you please stop saying that? Like we say persons of color or, you know, black people or, you know, communities of color. And then it's black and brown people. And that's exciting to me. Like, I, I love that. This space is to me even more nuanced because like we talk about how cast aside persons with disabilities have been for so fucking long in this country. It's just an afterthought. It's just an afterthought. Mm -hmm. So in our language for it to become, you know, finally come and bubble up to the surface, I find exciting. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not, and you know, nothing I said was meant to shame. I, I know that you're not doing anything ever with malice. It's just, I mean, it's like anything. We will probably always offend somebody just based on preference. There's three people that I do things with malice toward. <laughs> Milton Friedman. Nope. Oh. Not even. Okay, well. Just in my personal life. Sure, that's that's a you thing. One, two, you three. Know. Sure. But, um, yeah, someone will always feel a different way and will always explore it, but... We can't say if, if, if we have one listener who likes person first and we have another listener who likes identity first. Person first, identity first. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we can't just do both. We can't always say a disabled person or a person with a disability. It's like, you know, we should adopt one stylistically. So we have our own like Agreed. internal style guide. Agreed. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, they've even said um, it goes as far as like someone with diabetes or a diabetic person, you know, like which do you want to describe yourself as? It's a big world out there, language. Well, thanks, Atomic Dog. Yeah. <laughs> for becoming a member. I'm sorry that I took us. I don't once even know how again. we got here. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but we appreciate that. And just closing out on this, Marco F is now a member. Cannot thank you enough for all that you do. Together, we will unfuck healthcare. Oh, just catch up here. Cool. <laughs> I'm a physician and disgusted with how we've been complacent and or complicit in destroying the practice of medicine. We need to partner with patients to take medicine back. Giddy. Fucking up, Marco. Thank you for writing in. We appreciate it. And for everybody who has become a member to help us get to our year-end goal, it's not going to happen, but you you gave it the old college try. We we are going to fall woefully short of our year-end goal of hitting 420, which means we'll have to punt that goal into How the next year. gleefully short? Because we're, just, we're still gleeful that we had people who are members at all. We fell gleefully short. <laughs> of our of our goal that's for and that's sense. okay but we have a lot of work to do in the new year as i mentioned all the way in the beginning of the show notes and we're excited for it so i hope you enjoy part three of education subtitle privatization and uh we'll catch you catch you when we catch you yeah sorry i was cranky today i'm Were having you? a bad day yeah i don't think i you... feel like i was aggro only at the only at the pigs and, uh, and like justify it. like so no more than no I think I like yelled at I think I yelled at Scott. Did you yell at Scott? I think so. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I don't know. Last time you told somebody to fuck off, they became a member. Yeah, well, that was in good spirits. <laughs> I don't want my true anger to show through. Uh, you know, you always got a mask. All right. But yeah, just all right. Well, we need to sign off and talk about 99's bad day. <laughs> she got 99 problems, and I might be one of them. No, today it's not you, thankfully. Oh God, thank God. <laughs> I'd let you know. <laughs> Love you, unfuckers. We'll catch you later. Bye.